Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Oh, as we said a few moments ago, it's uh, Independence Day coming up. And uh, we got the fan on. It feels like July. And um, Independence Day is, is just, it's such an interesting holiday for, for me, anyway. It's the big celebration day. Our country's birthday, that's always uh, something to celebrate. This country that was founded with really inspiring values that have inspired the world, the foundation of what we are based in. And we celebrate with firecrackers and, and uh, 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 big excitement. We're celebrating freedom. We're celebrating liberty. We're celebrating independence. And it has become really one of the hallmarks of our American spirit, you know, being independent, being self-sufficient, being able to, you know, in the, in the classical sense, the, the stereotype, the John Wayne type of, yeah, I can, I can do it, I can go it alone, and and uh, it's a value that many in our country, well, we all value independence and freedom, but it means different things to different people. And it's, it's true, even in our, um, even in uh, the Buddhist practices, there is a value for being self-sufficient. If you've done loving-kindness retreats, um, there's a loving-kindness retreat coming up in a few weeks, uh, that I'll be teaching that one. That one's, I think, full though. Um, but in the in the loving kindness retreat, and you do the loving kindness practice, the last classical phrase is "May I have ease of well-being, or may I live with ease," which really means, um, and another way of saying it is, "May I take care of myself happily." May I be able to, may I have enough ease that I'm not, um, in the best of all worlds, not dependent on others, but really able not only to take care of myself, but to provide sustenance and support for others as well. That, that would be one of the, a, a, a true blessing in one's life if one has that. We all, at times, uh, need to depend on others, don't we? But this is a, a value, something that we, that we uh, really cherish, to be able to take care of ourselves. Uh, 
What does independence mean to you? I'd like to just take a few moments, uh, have just reflect for a moment. What does the word independence mean to you? Does it inspire you? Is it an aspiration that you, that seems remote, that seems inaccessible, or that seems like you've got a strong commitment towards developing? What does that word independence mean? Okay, let's take some comments. Is Patricia? Hi. Here, why don't we, why don't we, uh, might as well pass this since we're recording. Thanks, Allison. Yeah. Um, I sat here wanting to respond to your question, and I bypassed something, and then I realized that the um, word is in, for me, in this moment, brought up independent from. And, <laughs> and then it brought in the interconnection of everything. And I'm not really sure that I understand what that is for me right now in my life without connecting the independent from. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm in process right now about it, but that was what was so interesting to me to see that that arose, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that I value a sense of independence in connection with community of, of being, you know, that it's not, it's not a separation from, mm -hmm. anyway. Great, thank you. And I'm, I'm not trying to get to the, the real answer, the right answer, this is something that's all that's individual for ourselves to reflect on um, take just a you know a couple of other comments if, if there's yeah you know it means to me first and foremost uh freedom from other powers freedom and from other powers yeah. uh -huh. it, it does not mean to me first and foremost that um i'm not in that i'm not in communion with with other people or other ideas um, but just freedom from tyranny, uh, other kinds of power, okay. hegemony, you know. Freedom from tyranny and hegemony. Anybody else? Here, why don't we, here, wait, wait here, because it, it's taped, so people listen. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking so much about uh, what, close, what close it meant to me, except freedom kind of thing. But I was looking, I was just thinking of the word in Real close to you. In, I was just thinking of the word in depend. It's uh -huh. almost like depending on oneself, in dependence. Depending on myself, okay. Yeah. In depend, to depend in, within, okay. One, uh, one more, Lynn, there it is. Uh, the, the word for me just strikes me as um, a word of privilege that, um, that it just reminds me of, you know, that when people have a lot of money, they feel that they can be independent, you know? Mm -hmm. But Thank in reality, we're all depending on each other mm -hmm. for the streets, for the roads, for the market, for the gasoline station to be open when we go there, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. So there is really no independence. 
there's there's no independence. Uh, if you it's think of it in terms of independently wealthy, that's privilege, but you're thinking in terms of we're all dependent on each other. Yeah, and I used to feel that more independence when I had more money, and now that I don't, you know, what, now that I've lost that privilege, I'm sorry, now that I've lost that privilege, you know, I don't feel so independent. That independence thing doesn't mean the same to me. When I had money, when I was wealthy, uh-huh. you know, I felt that. But uh-huh. now that I've lost all that privilege, I don't feel it. I really... So now I can see. I guess it's taught me a lesson. Uh-huh. Great. Thank you. Anyone last comment? Yeah. Uh, oh, where, where is it? Where, who, who, had the, who had it? Who had the hand up? Here, why don't we go over there? And we can get Allison to And what, tell me, what's your name again? Susanna. Susanna. And real close to your mouth. Um, two things arose for me simultaneously. And one was um, a sense of empowerment mm-hmm. and being able to do things on my own for myself and sort of stand strong for myself in the world. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the other aspect for me was um, an expectation to be self-sufficient and never need anyone, never need anything, and have to be separate from other people uh-huh. and take care of myself. Uh-huh. Thank you. Okay, and when come uh, bring it right up here, and Allison can be the last one. Thanks. Um, close. I think it... Real close. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, people have referred to me as independent when I've um, done something out of the norm. <laughs> uh-huh. And so just for me, I feel it means freedom, freedom of thought and freedom of action. Uh-huh. And I've gone back and forth with that a lot, thinking if I'm not in the norm, then there's something wrong with me. But... <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it could be like an independent thinker that you just you are your own your own person and doing things not necessarily to conform to the masses, but just really um, getting clear on what for you is the truth. Okay, great, thanks. I want you just turn it off and you can keep it there. Hello. Yeah, well, this word independence, it's a powerful word. And I, I, can, uh, I can remember when I was uh, exploring this in, um, in depth many years ago, I went through a, a process maybe some of you are familiar with um, that used to be called rebirthing, where you do some very you know, heavy breathing and go through... Um, uh, really, like you're reborn and you get in touch with a whole lot of um, early stuff as you actually access some traumas and other stuff like that. And through that process, you go through a series of maybe five or six, I went through a series of five or six sessions, um, and you're going to, into an altered state. What I, I, I came out with was um, a whole different frame on independence because what I, I valued so much was that self-sufficiency of you know, not needing anybody else, and I really wanted to be that way, 
But on the other hand, I could easily go into a place of helplessness where you know, the, the, whole, the whole show would, would crumble and the facade was like, help, I need somebody. And, oh, that was the song lyric, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was anybody. <laughs> um, and that I, um, uh, and I felt like, you know, I needed to kind of completely collapse before I could ask for, for help. And through this process, what I, I came to, I hadn't thought about it in quite a while, except for when I, as I was putting these thoughts together. Through that process was um, this understanding that um, I have the inner strength and resources to take care of myself, and it's okay and more than okay, it's healthy to, and as part of my inner resources, to be able to reach out and ask for help when I need it without necessarily collapsing. I didn't have to go completely to pieces to, to feel it's okay. Because we all need each other. This is what the Buddha said, you know, the whole of the holy life is... Uh, are, is good spiritual friendship, you know. We all, we all need somebody to lean on at some time. And that was a, a, a really powerful shift. But I want to talk a little bit from a Buddhist perspective about independence and see the implications for, for us. Independence independence is not about I can do it alone, not from my understanding of the Buddha's teaching. It's not I will do this by myself, but rather quite the opposite, it's getting beyond the self-view of I completely. That is, the real freedom, the real independence, is independence, is freedom from that self-view. As the, the Buddha says, you should consider all phenomena with proper wisdom. This is not mine. This is not I. This is not self. And a famous quote, nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as me or mine. That's where the true independence comes because we are not busy trying to validate ourselves or get external validation that we're really okay. You never have that feeling, you know, you just want to, if you could have people really tell you, you're really okay, you're really okay. That's, that's often our our quest, and sometimes I feel you know you could have six billion people line up saying you're really okay, and it won't quite do the trick unless you get that you're really okay. Seeing that you are quite enough, that you are complete just as you are, 
seeing through this sense of self, how to do that? You need to get beyond all conceptual thought of I and me and mine. This is easier said than done because that I pops up. It is the basis of most every thought that we have, either in I really am okay, am I enough, I'm better than, I'm worse than, that comparing mind, to realize directly that what is shining through us, how could it not be okay? How could it not be okay? How can the, the you know, the, uh, Ajahn Sumedho has this beautiful phrase I love, the shining through of the divine. How can we say, you know, my unconditional love is better than your unconditional love? That doesn't make any sense. My pure awareness is better than your pure awareness. It's just something that, that comes through us. This is the Buddha saying, Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This, the noble follower of the way, really understands the luminosity of the mind. How to do that? This is the, the first part of the talk. And I'll, I'll share with you um, a, a pointer, a, a piece that um, I've just gotten back in touch with recently that has been very inspirational for me. Um, that is, it's actually, it's a Tibetan teaching, a restricted teaching that I was given permission to share uh, in when it felt right. And I'm just going to share the very first part of, of this um, teaching. And this is one pointer to how to get beyond, how to, to get to who you really are beyond this sense of I. <clears throat> so I just uh, invite you to listen for a moment. And it starts out with the word emaho, which means how amazing, how, how marvelous. It's just a short piece, but emaho. I, the untroubled and carefree renunciate, will now sing this song about the view, entitled The Flight of the Garuda. That's the, this whole treatise. It enables one to swiftly traverse all the levels and paths. Listen carefully, fortunate children of my heart. In both samsara and nirvana, the renown of the enlightened state is widely heard like thunder throughout the sky. As this always remains within the minds of beings of the six realms, how amazing that one is never separate from it for even an instant. Not knowing that this state is within oneself, how amazing that one searches for it elsewhere. Although it clearly manifests, although it is clearly manifest like the radiant disk of the sun, how amazing that so few see it. Having no father and mother, one's mind is the true Buddha 
How amazing that it knows neither birth nor death. No matter how much happiness and sorrow is experienced, how amazing that it is never impaired or improved, even in the slightest. How amazing that without being fabricated, this mind, which is unborn and primordially pure, is spontaneously present from the beginning. This self-awareness is naturally free from the very first. How amazing that it is liberated by just resting at ease in whatever happens. This is this place beyond conceptual thought, the awareness that shines through that you can't take ownership for or you can't even take pride in. It just happens. It's just consciousness expressing itself through this form called you. And once you see, once you even get a glimpse that that's who you really are, beyond this sense of separation that says, am I as good as the next person, or am I better, or am I good enough, then that opens you up to a new perspective that arises, where you can see your unique gifts unique to you as gifts, not as not being enough. There's a, uh, a, um, a, a lovely line that I love uh, from um, Course in Miracles that says, believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. Or as Trungpa Rinpoche once said, timidity is just another ego trip. You know? Oh no, I'm not good enough. You know? Once you see who you really are, and you see what shines through, and you also can appreciate your uniqueness, the uniqueness that life has and expresses itself just in its totally individual, unique way as you, then of course you're good enough, but it's not, oh, look at my wonderful talents with a, a source of pride, oh, look at me, but there is a sense of both humility and confidence at the same time that these gifts have been given to you, and of course you're quite enough. There is a self-sufficiency to it. But the perspective that you realize that this pure awareness or this divine that's shining through is not 
only yours, you also realize that you're part of everything. So the independence is really independence, the freedom from the prison of self that keeps us separate and rather leads to, as you were saying, a connection with all of life. And as often is said in, in Buddhism, uh, the interdependence that everything is a part of, the interconnectedness that we're all a part of, that we all share. Thich Nhat Hanh has a, a beautiful image. He, he writes about that just in a sheet of paper, you can see the whole of the world, the whole of existence in this sheet of paper is the tree, is the sun, and the rain that grew the tree, is the logger and the logger's parents, and the, the food that the logger eats. Everything is in this paper, and this paper proves the existence of this interconnectedness. It can't exist separate, independent of anything else. This morning, uh, Jane and I were, were eating breakfast in a, a beautiful setting, and there was a, um, uh, there were some, some beautiful flowers, uh, purple, I don't know, maybe trumpet vines or something like that, that had very deep uh, stem uh, or tunnel going right down into, into where the stamen and the pistil and all of that stuff is. And there was this um, huge bumblebee that came. Right? And he was, or she, was having a really good time. Right? <laughs> Go really so deep into that, into that flower and do what it did, and then went into the next one and the next one. The bee probably wasn't saying, aren't I wonderful for pollinating these flowers? And the flowers weren't saying, aren't I beautiful, although they were. They all depended on each other. Without that bee, we were, we'd be in a lot of trouble. And in, in recent times, as probably many of you know, there's been a huge drop in the bees. I, I think somebody was saying like a third of the bees of the bee population in some areas has dropped mysteriously, or maybe not so mysteriously. And it's affecting everything. Because everything has its part in this vast fabric, this vast web of life. And everything is needed for the harmony that we are exquisitely able to share. I was reminded of um, a book that I read many years ago um, called Mount Analog. Anybody know Mount Analog? People by this guy, Rene Dumal, who um, 
he didn't finish it. He died just before, uh, before he could finish it. So it stops, the last sentence stops mid-sentence, but it's a really profound uh, book. Mount Analog is the analogy of, of making the trip to the summit of spiritual life. And uh, all of these explorers go around on the, um, uh, go up this mountain. And the main character uh, talks about how he was in a very bad blizzard lasting three days, and uh, he was tr- really hungry, and at some point he, uh, he hadn't eaten for quite a while. Uh, there on the slope right opposite me, I saw an old rock rat come out of his hole. Picking up a stone, I smashed its skull with a lucky throw, cooked it over a fire of rhododendrons, and devoured the le- leathery meat. A month later, I was about to start up the mountain again, and I was called before the guides, before the guides' tribunal, to answer for the murder of the rat. Um, The law makes no exceptions. Access to the mountain above Meadowbrook was denied me for three years. Um, Finally, the day arrived. I proudly carried with me in a cage a fat rock rat, which I had captured easily, in which I would free as we went by the place where I'd killed the other one so that I could repair the damage and make up for what I did. Alas, the damage had just begun to show. As we left Meadowbrook just at sunrise, a terrifying sound filled the valley. The entire side of the mountain, which was not then cut through by the waterfall, collapsed and crashed down in an avalanche of rocks and mud A cataract of water mixed with blocks of ice and stone burst out of the tip of the glacier, which hung down to the upper slope, and wore great gullies in the sides of the mountain. The trail, which at that time climbed after leaving Meadowbrook to cross the slope much higher up, was obliterated for a considerable distance. For several days, rock slides and eruptions of water and mud kept occurring, and our path was completely blocked, etc., etc. This is going on towards towards the end. A week later, I was called before the commission which declared that I was responsible for the disaster. And following the original sentence, I would have to repair the damage. I was dumbfounded, but they explained to me, this is the last paragraph of the book, by the way, it stops mid-sentence. They explained to me how it all happened, so I'll save you reading the book, maybe, but it's a really good book. According to the findings of the commission, they made the statement impartially, objectively, and today I would even say leniently, but categorically. The old rat I had killed fed principally on a species of wasp common in that spot. But beyond a certain age, a rock rat is no longer agile enough to catch wasps on the wing. Therefore, he lived for the most part on the sick or weak insects which dragged themselves along the ground and could barely fly. In this way, he destroyed the wasps that were malformed or carriers of disease. His unsuspecting intervention protected the colonies of these insects from dangerous afflictions spread by heredity or contagion. Once the rat was dead, these afflictions spread rapidly, and by the following spring, there was scarcely a wasp left in the region. These wasps, visiting flowers in search of honey, also fertilized them. 
Without the wasps, a large number of plants which play an important part in the holding the terrain in place. That's the end of it. And you can fill in the rest. So independence sees through that I can do it alone. We are all dependent on each other, and we all play a part in it. And here I'll just share with you an update on this from, I, I mentioned this book a couple of weeks ago, this a book by Bill McKibben called Earth with two A's. This is, when I, I remember reading uh, Mount Analog and saying, oh gosh, come on, you know, that, wow, that's, that's pretty dramatic. Well, here's the modern day scientific version of this. In 2008, Wyoming and Colorado alone housed more than 3 million acres of dead trees. In the next five years, Colorado expects to lose another 5 million acres. Virtually every lodgepole pine larger than 5 inches in diameter. Further north in British Columbia, 33 million acres of lodgepole have already turned from green to rust red, all dead. The culprit is the mountain pine needle, which Latin named dendrotanus, which translates as tree killer. Once the beetle drills into the bark, the tree gives off a white waxy resin in an attempt to seal the insect in its hole. But the attacker can give off a pheromone that draws swarms of other beetles. Eventually, the tree is overwhelmed. The scope and scale of the destruction is nothing like we've ever seen, says the executive director of the Western State Foresters. We'll see, we're seeing the end of some forests as we know it, as we know them. Why is it happening? Because we've raised the temperature enough that the beetles can overcome winter more easily, what he calls overwinter. It goes longer, a longer winter. Milder winters since 1994 have reduced the winter death rate of beetle larvae in Wyoming from 80% per year to less than 10%. You need stretches of 30 or 40 degrees below zero up in the mountains to kill off the beetles, and that doesn't happen anymore. In Glacier National Park, for instance, only 25 of the 150 glaciers that were there in 1850 still exist and all of them are shrinking rapidly. Meanwhile, hotter, drier summers have made trees weaker and less able to fight off the swarming beetles. And what is the result? All the obvious things, greatly increased fire risk, followed by mudslide and erosion, dead trees falling on roads and toppling power lines. In Colorado and Wyoming, officials closed 38 campgrounds so trees wouldn't drop on tents, and a kind of despair. It's really something to see, a forester in Utah said. You would be very surprised. It's hard to describe until you see it. It's just dead trees as far as the eye can see. So there is, it's the reverse of the Mount Analog. So it turns out that there's a responsibility that comes with true independence. 
when there is that liberation from separateness and from having power over to seeing we are all in this together and it's in my interest to keep this home as healthy as possible, that changes things around from a sense of separation to a spirit of deep connection. And out of the emptiness, the natural development is compassion for all living beings, because we're, we're not separate, including ourselves. We're the ones that benefit from our compassion, from our caring, from our sense of connection. I'll end with uh, some words from Nyoshul Kempo, who is a great Dzogchen master. We are not practicing, oh, I'll leave it alone too. Whatever we do with selfish, narrow, egotistical motivation is very limited and probably temporary. We are not practicing for ourselves alone since everybody is involved and included in the great scope of our prayers and meditations on this perfectly pure motivation. The natural outflow of so-called solitary meditation or prayer is spontaneous benefit for others. It's like the rays of the sun, rays which spontaneously reach out. This good heart, pure heart, vast and open mind, is innate bodhicitta. That means the, the, the urge to benefit all beings. <clears throat> we talk about vast and profound teachings of the Dharma, but without this goodness of heart, this unselfishness, it's mere chatter, gossip, and rationalization. The very heart essence of the Dharma is feeling the connection and benefiting others, bodhicitta. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. And if we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, transformed, and even become beneficial to others through contact with that good heart, which we, the bodhisattvas, strive to embody. So as we approach this Independence Day, let's really expand our perspective to see that this independence is cutting through this sense of separation to let the heart open to the, the connection that's there that is the underlying reality all the time and joyfully take on the sense of responsibility that comes with that not out of fear or despair, but out of, out of love, out of love for the planet, out of love for life, out of love for ourselves, as we see through that sense of self to something much greater. So, we have some time or some comments, questions, just a few minutes.
Here, why don't we uh, hear Pessy? Thank you very, very much, Jamie. That really helped. Um, this morning, uh, interestingly enough, I uh, was walking in Tilden Park and I was unsettled. And as I was walking, I became more and more settled because what kept coming to me was this inner connection and that there was no separation. And that what was trying, you know, I was in this conflict about trying to separate from something. And I said, well, there's really nothing to separate from. <laughs> and it was so joyful. And to hear you echo it right now, <laughs> um, you know, and the cows were munching in the, on the hill and the bunnies were hopping and, oh. All perfect. Yeah, and just, just like the settling from that to self-care and an awareness to hold that, you know. But it take, if, in my experience, it took a lot of work um, related to a lot of the horrors on the news and so forth, you know, and how to hold um, what really feels morally wrong and how to find the connection with forgiveness, apology, and them not working, and it not, it's not, you know, and it's very yeah. strenuous. It, 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 and, and that's the task, to so not be overwhelmed by it, but to keep opening up the heart that can hold it all with love and compassion. Makes and, a and huge difference. Makes all the difference in the world from despair to inspiration. And the more you can express it, the more others can be remembering that as well. To open up the heart, a heart as wide as the world. So, thank you. Thank you. Okay, maybe time for just one, one more comment. If, if not, we'll just, uh, we can just close with a loving kindness. And, um, wish you a happy, joyful uh, independence day, true independence, true freedom. So just um, feel your own heart inside, your own goodness, your own place that cares. And then remember that it's not even yours. You've been given a gift of caring and loving and awareness. Just resting in that for a moment. And celebrate it. And then wish this body and mind called you well. May I have ease of well-being. May I feel my own goodness and love inside and share it well. 
May I see through my confusion and my sense of separation to the true nature that shines through. And then to extend that to everyone as I want to be free, as I want to be liberated. May all beings see through their confusion and be liberated. May all share their love well. May all know real peace. May all find true happiness. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, everyone in our lives, and to all beings everywhere. very much. Come and picnic with us on the 4th if you're around. <coughs> See you next week. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.